0: Welcome back to the Vanser Network. I am Ben and I'm joined by Sam. And today we've got a very special guest. If you've been around the Miami Heat since the beginning, then you know our guest. He's been an assistant coach, a color commentator, and the director of Heat Camps, Mr. Tony Fiorentino. Thank you for joining us. Uh, It is such an honor that you and Eric Reed basically commentated half of my childhood. So it's a pleasure of having you on the podcast today.
1: My pleasure, Benjamin.
0: Yeah, so
2: let's start off. Let's take us back to November 5th, 1988, not just your first heat game, but the very first heat game. Can you talk about that experience? What was running through your head, the emotions that you felt uh, the very first Miami heat basketball
1: game? Well, it's an interesting story about that. Obviously it was the first game in franchise history, playing the Clippers and um, everyone, many people were black ties and, and uh, bow ties, you know, and all that stuff, black tie outfit. Um, A lot of celebrities were there. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I wasn't. (laughs) As an assistant coach back then, we only had two assistant coaches. Mm -hmm. It's amazing today where you have a a coaching staff of five or six coaches. You have a huge scouting staff. You have a a video coordinator with a video room. We had none of that in 1988. Mm -hmm. And so Friday, that game was on a Saturday night, I believe. Friday and Saturday night I had to go scout the next two opponents. Okay. And so I had to go, I believe I was in uh, Houston that night, it was either Houston or Dallas. Mm-hmm. I had to scout. We were going to play them either in the next game or the, or the second game coming up on the road. So I was sitting in a darkened arena scouting an opponent coming up while everybody was having a great time in Miami <laughs> celebrating. And, you know, it's weird about the whole thing. I was thinking about this the other day because of the pandemic. We're in our 33rd year of the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. And I think I, maybe I've missed a handful of games, not even a handful of game, home games in 33 years. Mm-hmm. But I missed opening night. So <laughs> it, it goes that way. But it, 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 we lost to them. And what was strange about it is I think we beat them like the next seven or eight times in a row. Mm-hmm. After that. In fact, that was our first win in Los Angeles when we were 0-17 in December to 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 win our first game ever when Norm Nixon missed the jump shot at the buzzer. It was mm-hmm. our first win in Need history at, at the at the Clippers in uh in eighty in eighty-eight.
2: Yeah, the first of very many wins, right? Uh going forward. Yes.
0: <laughs> Uh, so I just wanted to take it back a little bit farther. You were a high school coach in New York before um, getting into the NBA, and I want to know what. How was the change from going from a high school coach to an assistant in the NBA?
1: Well, I was fortunate because my alma mater, Mount Vernon High School, uh, to this day, we've had nine guys drafted in the NBA. Wow! And that you know, most a lot of high schools don't even have one. We've had nine play in the NBA. Many of them drafted. Um, so I got the coach Rodney McCray, uh, his, my, my first year as a head coach in Malvern in 78, 79, I had Rodney McCray. He, Rodney McCray won an NCAA championship as a, fr- as a freshman at Louisville. He, had, he won a, a he got a, a championship. Uh, he got the championship at Louisville. He was on the Olympic team in 1980. <laughs> that wasn't allowed, uh, to go to the Olympics. Okay. They boy- we, we boycotted that. Uh, the, the games were in Los Angeles. Uh, we're in, in Russia. And we were not allowed to go uh, mm. to Russia to, to participate for, because they had infiltrated Afghanistan at the time. And then he also won an NBA championship with the Bulls. And so he was the first guy, you know, he was on my first team that I coached. I had Scooter McCray as a freshman at Mount Vernon. So what I'm trying to say is, and I worked five-star camp. Five-star camp was the best camp in the country. Wow. and I rubbed I rubbed shoulders with at a very young age guys like Calipari and Patino and Chuck Daly and uh, Mike Fratello and Ron Rothstein and you know the likes of that and we had great players in that we had the best players high school players in the country mm-hmm. from the Midwest to the to the East um, at five star so I had been uh, you know I had been around the talent and coached some of it on that level so when I I was at Iona for two years after I left Mount Vernon as an assistant coach. I own a college and New Rochelle, and then came to the heat on mm-hmm. the first staff. And so it would, it would have been more overwhelming for me had I just gone, you know, from a high school that didn't have that type of talent or my back kind of background. It would have been a little different. And so, it, but, but it was exciting to be with one of my best friends, Ron Rothstein, mm-hmm. to be with the first franchise, you know, to be an, on the first coaching staff and the philosophy by Louis Chaffel and Billy Cunningham, the general partners that ran the Heat mm-hmm. at the time, um, the initial guys, they, they started the franchise from the ground up. We had six rookies on the first team, mm-hmm. whereas Charlotte, who came into the league with us, they went out and got players. Mm-hmm. And so we only won 15 games that first year. So I, 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 I coached uh, eight years at Mount Vernon and we lost 21 games. Mm -hmm. So my first year as a pro coach, we lost 15. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So welcome to the pros.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Welcome to the pros indeed. But it did not take too, too long uh, for the Miami Heat to turn things around and uh, compete at the highest level. Um, Let's talk about uh, when you were now color commentating the first championship uh the, the Miami Heat won in 2006 what, what were the emotions running through your head to see this team built quite literally from the ground up like you said it was an expansion team but they went um the young route the the rookie route rather than what Charlotte did and acquire veteran talents um so talk about just that that feeling of the first championship the buzzer sounds Dwayne Wade throws the ball up in the air and you know that you guys have finally won the first ring
1: well, we'll go back for a second. You know, in mm-hmm. 1995, when uh, Mickey Arison hired Pat Riley, mm-hmm. that changed the fortunes. Mickey Arison becoming the principal uh, owner of the Heat and, and, and uh, basically now running the franchise until he hired gen- uh, general manager and Pat Riley. Mm-hmm. And knowing that, you know, here you have a man, the most decorated coach, one of the most decorated coaches in the history of basketball mm-hmm. on any level. And he's coming into the franchise and he knows how to win championships. He knows what it takes. So now you fast forward that, you know, first move he made was he got Alonzo Mourning, mm-hmm. future Hall of Famer. All right. And he made some trades with Tim Hardaway. And then we know what the great job he did in, 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 in creating and developing uh, that 2016 with Shaq and Dwayne mm-hmm. Wade, uh, Gary Payton, um, you know, guys of that nature, Alonzo Mourning, and so people forget that uh, Stan Van Gundy start, started that 05, 06 year coaching the team. Mm-hmm. And then in December, he left. Pat Riley came from the president's office down back into the coaching seat, head coaching seat. Mm-hmm. And um, what was amazing about that championship was that pretty much Pat Riley predicted it. Oh, when, really? we went, when we went to <laughs> Dallas in... Um, for the finals, Dallas, the mm-hmm. first two games were in Dallas. They blew us out both games.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There was even an article in the Dallas paper that said the heat are not worthy that, that, that Dallas mm. is not worthy of playing the Miami heat because the Miami heat are not worthy of playing them. Okay. We weren't, mm. we weren't worthy opponents. That was good to put on the, on the, on the board, you know, in the locker room for the heat. But Pat Riley, after that game wrote numbers on the board, he wrote six, 21, People didn't mm-hmm. know what he was talking about. He goes that night 6-21-06 will be when we win the championship. Oh, okay. And, and they went out he, and did it. He went out and then and then the amazing thing was, you know, we lose the two games in Dallas. We come home and play three games. Mm-hmm. We're down by thirteen with six and a half minutes left in game three. Come out of the timeout. Dwayne White says we're not. We ain't going out this way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we wind up winning by one. We blow them out in game two. Game three, we're down one in overtime with 11 seconds left. Dwayne Wade gets the ball, uh, maneuvers in and out of three defenders, gets fouled, makes the free throws. We win by one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we come, now we go to Dallas. We're up three, two. And, uh, Eric Reed and I, were not doing the game because it was a national, it was on, mm-hmm. it was on uh, ABC, um, NBC at the time. So we, we were doing a po- pregame and postgame. So we were there mm-hmm. and, um, After the first quarter, we were down double figures, and the fans thought the game was over. Mm -hmm. Dallas had one of the best home teams. They were one of the best home teams in the NBA. And then Pat Riley went to his bench, brought in Alonzo Mourning, brought in Gary Payton, um, and it was a one-point game at halftime. And then, as you know, as it evolved, uh, one of the great plays, that very subtle play that was made in that game, with about four or five minutes left, Mm -hmm. we were – we were up most of the second half, and all of a sudden, Dallas is making a run now. Mm-hmm. And with about four or, five, four or five minutes left, we're up three, I believe it was, two or three. And Dwayne Wade comes down, and he averaged almost 40 a game in the, three, in the four wins during, right. after the two losses. One of the greatest performances in the history of the finals. He comes down the court on the right side, the right near the right elbow, right wing, and he gets double and triple teamed. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to let him beat them. So he threw the ball to the right corner, and we made the jump shot in front of Dallas's bench.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that three, when he when we made that three, we, we 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 got back up to six. It kind of cut the momentum
2: mm-hmm.
1: of of the Dallas Mavericks. And then, as you mentioned, you know, all this, they were down at the end. They missed the shot, and Dwayne Wade throws the ball up in the air, and now we're world champions. And what was great was. Pat Riley, um, in the hotel with the team, we find this out later. Mm-hmm. He had them check out of the hotel. Oh! Now, if you lose Game <laughs> Six, you got to go back to the hotel. Uh huh. He made them check out. He goes, "We're not coming back. Wow, we're going home after the game." And remember, he made that one great thing with um, one one suit, one tie, one shirt. <laughs> He said he brought one, sh- one, you know, because we're playing two games maybe to win it. And so with all of that psychological stuff, he's one of the great motivators in history mm-hmm. uh, of sports. Um, the players all checked out. They paid their expenses. They put their bags on the uh, bus. As you can hear, my dog's agreeing with me. <laughs> and um, after the game, we went back to their hotel, the Heat's team, the team hotel, and it was a party. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool. I mean, everybody there were Heat fans. There were no more games. We won a championship. I was a high school coach, as you mentioned, at Mount Vernon, and we won the public school state championship mm-hmm. twice, but we lost the last game against a private school once by one and one by two. Mm-hmm. And so as a coach, I, have nev- I had never won a championship where you didn't have any more games left and you were the champions. So for mm-hmm. me, it was a first-timer. And then to, 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 to see Pat Riley dancing – to uh, Bruce Springsteen, "The Rising." <laughs> it was a theme song for the Heat, and uh, and and he and Shaq were dancing to the song in front of all the, all the all the, uh, the the family members and all of us <laughs> that were there. It was a great night for Miami Heat basketball. We finally, after 18 years, we won a championship.
0: Uh, yeah and it was i was a little bit too young i was only three at the time but it was i can still kind of remember my parents being really excited about it um you talked a lot about pat Riley and his kind of getting to that moment uh when he came to the organization did some of his earlier changes you know bringing in zoe for someone like uh tim hardaway uh, did some of his early changes kind of rub some people up the wrong way in the organization how did his earlier uh, how did his earlier change how did his arrival really um, affect the organization as a whole
1: no everybody was upbeat about it everybody wanted mm-hmm. it you know we, we were kind of a franchise that was kind of just there you know we mm-hmm. we made the, um, Ron Ross was there the first three years he was let go they brought in Kevin oh. Lockery Kevin Lockery we got oh. to the we got to the playoffs, the fourth year and the sixth year of the franchise, Mm -hmm. the seventh year, we made some trades and everything went backwards. And so we weren't sure which direction the franchise was going. Mm -hmm. And by bringing Pat Riley in, it legitimized the franchise Mm -hmm. and, and being made the president. Now he, he had control over personnel. And in like a month before the season started, I remember early September, we started training camp late September he brings in Alonzo Mourning,
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay? And then at training deadline in February, he brings in Tim Hardaway and Chris Gatling and a few other guys. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now, you know, the, the next year, 96, 97, is when we won 61 games. Yeah, That was the best record in Heat history until LeBron Wade and, and Chris Bosh won 66. Mm-hmm. And so we you could, you could feel with Alonzo Mourning in the middle and with Pat Riley at the helm, that now things are going to be headed in the right direction, and you know he in his first uh, in, in his introduction to South Florida and the media here, um, on the ship uh, Mickey Harrison owned, um, mm-hmm. he said, "I envision a parade down Biscayne Boulevard." Wow! And boy, did he deliver! big <laughs> time. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: he did. Um, and one thing that we always talk about, uh, we hear it in the media we hear it uh everywhere on the Miami Heat social pages is that culture and um sure the Miami Heat obviously had something before Pat Riley but it seems like when he joined the team it really was a culture shift into what we know uh and and respect today so uh, can you talk about that, that shift, that, that change in the atmosphere uh, when he was here? Like, like you said, it legitimized the team, but also going forward, um, h- how that really changed the mindset of what the team was really all about.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I, was, I, I mentioned I was on that original staff and mm-hmm. Ron Rothstein pretty much did that for three years with mm-hmm. the team. And then he was let go and then it didn't continue.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: when Pat Riley came he became the voice and the, and the figure of the franchise and the, the culture with Mickey Harrison and mm-hmm. Pat Riley as the leaders of the franchise. And then bringing in Alonzo morning, who was the one, you know, one of the fiercest players in the history of the league, you know, played hard all the time had passion. We could raise everybody else's game to another level with the, with the emotion and the way he played, you know, in his hall of fame career, put all that together, Pat Riley, then, uh, started the tradition of hard work i remember um it was interesting in one of those years i was on his staff for four years mm-hmm. and i remember when after a three-hour practice one day one of the reporters said to him coach is it true you had a three-hour practice today <laughs> kind of like implying that's too long and mm-hmm. coach riley looked at him and said are you telling me that i can't ask a professional athlete to give me a three-hour work day so the, the media didn't ask that question anymore. Okay. <laughs> and I remember that when we got Alonzo morning that year, uh, the, ni- they, that, well, the, they the second year in 96, 97, we played at home. We won a game, and the reporters were interviewing Coach Riley. And the reporter, we were going on a six game road West Coast trip.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the reporter said to Coach Riley, What do you think's a good record on this trip? Four and two, five and one. Pat Riley just looked at him and said, I want to win them all. Mm-hmm. And I was standing there with Alonzo Mourning, and Alonzo Mourning said to me, "That's why I love the man. Uh-huh. You know what? We went six and zero on that road trip. Why concede anything to anybody? That's mm-hmm. that was Pat Riley's mantra. That that was you know you, you we played this game. Remember when we we were? Uh, you remember when the Bulls? I believe it was the year the Bulls won seventy two games. Mm-hmm. They only lost ten games. We played them with eight players that mm-hmm. year. Tony Smith. That was the year. Riley's first year where we made the trade and, and Timmy Hardaway and those guys hadn't gotten here yet in February. And we had to play mm-hmm. with uh, Rex Chapman, you know, Alonzo Mourning and guys like that. And the, uh, the bulls were, were, were the, were the toast of the, uh, of the league. Mm-hmm. And we beat them. Rex Chapman had a 40 something point game. And, mm-hmm. uh, Pat Riley told him before the game, what, why, why, w- why are we even going out there to play? Why don't I just walk out there and tell them we can see the game. Why are you guys even going out there? He got our guys so riled up and so prepared to go out mm-hmm. there to play them. Okay. We beat them. And we we only lost 10 games that year, I believe. Yep. I believe it was that one was of the 10. year. Yeah. So, um, you know, we beat them with eight guys. And so that's what Pat Riley was all about. And now you've got Eric Spolster, who's the video coordinator, who mm-hmm. works his way up. When po- Coach Riley first came to the Heat, he asked me about the video coordinator. He said, is he... a a, is he a a computer guy learning basketball or is he a basketball guy learning computers i said no Mm -hmm. coach he's a basketball guy and look what look look what he evolved into you know we could tell right away the video coordinator on any team really deals with the assistants Mm -hmm. because you gotta you gotta make scouting reports you gotta make videotapes for the team and all that stuff and it's really the assistants that deal with the video coordinator and so we knew right away how sharp he was but it's stuff he added to the to the videos by the way we, we conversed with him, all right? And then eventually Stan Van Gundy uh, put him on the coaching staff, then put him on the bench. Mm-hmm. And then he was on the bench when we beat uh, Dallas. He was one mm-hmm. of the assistant coaches with Coach Rothstein and Coach McAdoo. Coach Foster was on the bench for that. And then when Coach Riley uh, um, gave it up after the 2008 season, 7-8 mm-hmm. season, Eric Spolster became the coach. People don't remember Eric Spolster became the coach two years before uh, LeBron came. Mm-hmm. Here. We made the playoffs both years, but the culture was cre- being created then that mm-hmm. you come here, you work hard, you put in a good day's work, you get the most out of your ability. And when, when I was on his staff, we were at LaSalle high school in, in the Grove mm-hmm. for three years, four years, three, three years. And in the summer, when the sa- last game was over for the season, Coach Riley said to us, look, we had four, I think we had four assistants at the time. And he said, uh, you guys figure out what vacation time you want over the summer. It was basically August because mm-hmm. July you have the, the summer camp, the summer league. Um, and so he said, you guys figure out your, 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 uh, your, your vacation time if you're going to take any. But I'd mm-hmm. like to have two guys here in, in LaSalle every day from eight o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Because you wanted the players to know we were there. They can come in at any time during those hours and we would work with them. Mm-hmm. And they and they came in. And and then they they came, they 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 so in August and September, they were ahead of the curve when we started training camp. And then mm-hmm. it evolved into what it is now.
2: Yeah, and you talked about it's kind of interesting how uh you there's a parallel right now that we can draw with Eric Spolstra's um, experience during this season uh covet has really um thinned the roster there were a few games where they actually did play with eight guys and they went out and competed just like you compared uh pat riley a- against the bulls uh, and against some good teams too. some strong competition but where the heat are still competing they haven't been winning a lot um right now but it seems like that is a lot of injury and um protocol concerns but they're still competing and that's one thing that really sets the heat apart from a lot of other teams a lot of other teams would just lay down and accept it but the heat are still going out there and, and fighting for the win can
1: you comment one on that? The, yeah one of the things that coach bolster does he's got a lot of good strong points i've seen mm-hmm. him firsthand we're very good friends um i got to work with him for, for four years with coach riley mm-hmm. um One of the great strengths that he has is that he just doesn't give your coaches speak to the players. They trust them. I'll give you a great example that you never hear about. Mm -hmm. Coach Spolster says to the team, you hear a lot of coaches say next man up. All right. Mm -hmm. But uh, some of them don't really mean that because I'll give you an example. If you got a couple of stars out and you got to play a couple of guys that don't play that much, what some coaches will do is that they'll play some of their better players more minutes, not to play some of the other guys, the minutes that you may give them. Coach is not like that. And he also doesn't care whether you're a first-round pick, whether you're the star or you're the rookie, or how much money you make. I remember when uh, Justice Winslow was a rookie, okay? And we're announcing the game at home, and early in the second quarter, here's Winslow going in the game. I'm saying to myself, whoa, isn't this different? Because Winslow had been tearing it up in practice – he deserved to right. play, and you're not going to not just not you're not going to play a veteran ahead of him simply because it's a vet. He's a veteran, and he, this guy's a rookie. Mm-hmm. So that's what the players respect. If you play hard, you play well. You play, and what he also preaches, and they all buy into this, is that there's no egos involved. You know, mm-hmm. you may get a guy that doesn't play for two or three games, then he may start the next game. He's got to mm-hmm. stay ready, and they do stay ready. And they they get that example also from a guy like Udonis Haslam it's a great uh, I use like I use a great example um when we went to Washington to play uh, uh, back when I was still announcing mm-hmm. um you go in the back and you you you, you hear coach bolster speak before the game uh like right. most all the coaches do that before the game there's a pre- little press conference as you walk back there as you walk back there I see Udonis Haslam with his shirt off, and he's cut like he's 25 <laughs> years old, right? He's like 36, 37 at the time. And he's doing all these exercises with, uh, with Eric Ferran, the strength coach, mm-hmm. right? And it's as if he's going to play. Mm-hmm. He doesn't play. And, you know, that's when Josh Richardson was young and, and, mm-hmm. and, and it may have been a rookie, more first or second year, Justice Winslow. Here's a guy that's working his butt off to stay in shape and ready, and he doesn't play. What kind of example is that for the young guys? Mm-hmm. Saying, hey you you better be ready when your number's call. and that's what that's what the cult that's part of what the culture is all
0: about. Right and we see I mean especially now with the emergence of heat Twitter but even before we we hear we see and we talk about this culture and it seemed like with uh, with Miami, whenever they see a guy that they think fits that culture they bring him in. And it doesn't really, and they never really seem to vary. They stray too far away from that kind of personality. Um, but I was wondering, was there a player or a person that seemed very, like the most Heat culture guy in the NBA, and and it seemed like very quote unquote like the stereotype of what someone that would play for the Heat would uh, act like. And is was there someone past or present that never really played for the Heat? That could have, you mean? Mm-hmm. But, that would yeah. fit into the mold. That, that
1: would fit that. I'm sure there were a bunch of guys, um, but not everybody. You know, Pat mm-hmm. Riley has the unique, uncanny talent of looking someone in the eye and mm-hmm. know, and realizing whether they're being sincere or not. I'll give you an example. When, when um, Ray Allen was thinking about coming to the Heat after mm-hmm. winning the championship with the Celtics, a, year, a couple of years removed, mm-hmm. um, you know, years removed, he comes to the Heat and he's been, LA, he started maybe 96, 97% of his games,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, in uh, Seattle and Milwaukee. Okay. Um, so he was used to starting and Pat Riley, basically, I, I, from what I read, said to him, you know, you're very likely you're coming off the bench here. Mm-hmm. And Ray Allen said, I could handle that. Now a guy can say that, but you don't know if he can handle it.
2: <laughs> right. Okay.
1: But obviously he did. He bought into the culture, made the greatest shot in the history of the Miami heat. One of the greatest shots in the history of the NBA finals. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be wearing a, a championship ring, uh, you know, that has, uh, that, that, from seat C- 13, the back to back championship ring, if it wasn't for Ray Allen, you know,
2: that's right. Um,
1: and so Pat Riley had that unique ability to look people in the eye and see that they could play in this culture. Um, People say to me, who is your favorite player in the history of the Miami Heat? And I mm-hmm. always surprise them. You know, you if I was to ask a, a casual fan that, uh-huh. you know, you you probably would get Dwayne Wade, UD, Alonzo Mourning.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: OK, guys like that. Glenn Rice.
2: Mm-hmm. OK,
1: you go back to the old, old guy. Um, my favorite player in Heat history is Keith Askins. OK. And Keith fits that culture. That's why I'm bringing him up.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: he fits that pat riley culture to a t all keith wanted to do was win he was a warrior Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and one of the great stories that i tell all the time that um keith askins played for alabama for wim sanderson in the 90 in the 89 90 season
2: Mm -hmm.
1: okay our second year in the league all right keith was a starter Mm -hmm. they had six guys who could start and It wasn't working. They weren't playing up to their potential. They were not winning. Keith went to Wim Sanderson. I've never heard of this before or since. He went to the coach and he said, Coach, if it'll help the team, I'll come off the bench. Because they had a -hmm. a sixth guy who could start, but he wasn't wasn't starting and it wasn't meshing. So Wim Sanderson puts that guy in the starting lineup, puts Keith on the bench, brings him in. He plays a lot, but he's Mm -hmm. a sub now and maybe jeopardizes his chance of being drafted. Six, mm-hmm. eight forward from Alabama. Alabama, at the time, was one of the two or three most uh, 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 that one of the two or three schools that had the most players in the NBA at the time. You know, UCLA, Duke, schools like that. Alabama was right there. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about nine, you know, the early '90s, and so the, uh, Alabama starts winning. They got to the Sweet Sixteen. Mm-hmm. Keith doesn't get drafted. The late Stu Winman who was the first player personnel director that he brings him to our training camp. And we just love the guy. We love his work ethic. And, mm-hmm. uh, so um, Keith made himself an NBA player. Played for nine years. And don't you know now he's the director of scouting for the Miami Heat.
2: <laughs> yeah, it does seem like the Miami Heat keep their guys around, especially the ones that embody the culture. Uh, the most, so it, it's going in the the order of things. It, it seems like Keith was really one of the first guys that started it, um, that embodied the culture. Alonzo Mourning really embodied it. Uh, now on, on the roster, it's Udinese Haslam. Who do you think maybe on the current roster is going to carry that torch moving forward to be the embodiment of Miami Heat culture after Udinese Haslam retires?
1: Well, you got a few guys. I think that you know you, you've got you could take your your, your pick of. um, Goran Dragic is in that mold, Mm all right, the leadership mold where he doesn't take any prisoners. He just plays hard. Mm -hmm. He played, you know, last year, Coach Bolster asked him to come off the bench. That's unusual. Mm -hmm. The guy was just all NBA a few years earlier, Mm -hmm. 13, okay, when he played for Phoenix. And so um, here he is coming off the bench for the Heat, and he blossomed. He accepted the role, and that's what the Heat culture is all about do what's best for the team. You got Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. You know, Jimmy Butler comes to the Heat and the first thing he does, he calls up Tyler Hero and says, uh, I'm going to the gym to work out. The only problem was it was like three thirty, four 4 o'clock in the morning or something <laughs> like that. So if you're a hero, how are you going to turn that down? Let's go, man.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, you know, you got you got him. And of course, Bam out of bio. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think those three guys epitomize what the Miami Heat culture is all about. Bam's a, a, a player who just has blossomed so much. Um, you know, when I think when the Heat were researching who to draft, when Bam came out, they talked to coach Calipari. And from what I read, mm-hmm. coach Calipari told him, look, if you like the work ethic, Noel, uh, well, this was about hero, but he told him about Bam's work ethic
2: mm-hmm.
1: and said, you know, he, he gave him a glowing uh, 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 report on, on mm-hmm. why they should take him And, they trusted John Calipari and they drafted him. They loved what they saw. Chet Cameron and his staff, they, and Keith staff, they, 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 they uh, scouted him many times. And look what he's blossomed into. And there's no ceiling on it. Mm-hmm. Were, I'll never forget, until he does it again, I'll never forget that sixth game against Boston last year yeah. in the bubble. That was a Hall of Fame game. Oh, yeah. What he did in that game and when he did it, when the game with the game on the line, the series on the line with a chance to go to the NBA finals. Mm -hmm. Here's your third year player. Okay. Dominating the Boston Celtics. Mm -hmm. And he got to the finals off of his back of game six. And so he, and and you could see everything that he's got, he's earned through his work ethic and the guidance of the uh, coaching staff. So I would say those three guys epitomize the heat Mm -hmm. culture.
0: Right, and you talk a little bit about uh, last year, and as all fans of Miami Heat, I mean, we were all very excited. We wish we could have been down Biscayne Boulevard uh, banging our pots and pans when we made it to the finals. (laughs) But do you – and this is a very kind of debated topic. I know Pat Riley definitely got into some – or definitely took some criticism by somewhat saying this. He was misquoted. But do you believe that Miami let, let's just say Miami could have won if Dragic and Bam wouldn't have, wouldn't have gotten injured in the finals.
1: Well, it's an interesting debate. You know, on one hand, mm-hmm. you know we don't. One of the things of the Heat culture is you don't make excuses. Mm-hmm. Injuries are a part of the game. Okay, just like if if somebody got hurt on the Lakers and the Heat won, you don't want you're on the Heat side. You don't want to hear about that. You won mm-hmm. the championship. It's the same way. And having said that, it just makes you wonder what would have happened because Game Four, when the Heat. Game three was when, when Butler went crazy and we won the game mm-hmm. after being down 0-2, all right? Game four, with about four minutes left, I believe, three and a half minutes left, it was a two-point game. Mm-hmm. But Drogic wasn't playing, got hurt. And uh, Kendrick Nunn did not play well in that game. And mm-hmm. you just kind of feel, you know you know the magic that, um, that, uh, that uh, uh, Drogic was doing mm-hmm. in the, at the end of games. You just have a feeling that if he was there at the end of that game, The series could have been tied to two with the best two out of three now going into game five. So who Mm -hmm. knows what would have happened? And Bam obviously was never the same after his little problem, health problem. So um, you you wonder as a Heat fan, what would have happened? But there are no excuses. The Lakers won. Mm -hmm. Injuries are a part of the game and you move on.
2: Yeah, that, that's a very interesting way to, to look at things. Uh, it, it's a unique perspective that only someone that's been with the Heat organization for so long really c- can hold. Um, so thank you for, for shedding light on that for us. Um, Can we talk now about a little bit of what you're doing um, in the Miami Heat organization? I know you're involved with the community outreach uh, programs. That's been a little difficult with uh, the pandemic, but talk about your position now with the organization and what you're doing.
1: Well, they told me when they, when they reassigned me from the uh, announcing to Heat ambassador, I told them I got to look it up, see how it's spelled first. So I get that right. Um, (laughs) Basically what I do is I, I, um, help run the junior heat program, which is, um, it's a program that wants to combine all of the, uh, basketball enthusiasts, the young kids and coaches in Mm -hmm. South Florida under one umbrella, the junior heat umbrella. Okay. And you get to go to clinics, you get tickets to a heat game. Um, there's, there's a lot of things involved with being involved with the junior heat Mm -hmm. and, um, we have our basketball camps. I've been running the heat basketball camp since Pat Raleigh came. And so I continue to direct the heat camps. We didn't have it this summer. We didn't have it in the spring or last winter because of the pandemic. But we're hoping that we can get it going again soon, you know, when we're, when we're able to. And then when they, when they told me what I was doing, I said, you know, I'd like to start a Miami Heat anti-bullying campaign. I was a teacher for 15 years, a high school teacher. And I saw firsthand what bullying can do to someone. And I think people are aware of bullying, but I don't think mm-hmm. uh, parents, especially, they're not really cognizant of how devastating it is to a young person to be bullied, mm-hmm. both psychologically and physically. Then there's cyberbullying, of course, all that sort of stuff. So we hooked up with a company uh, from New York, Bridget. Uh, mm-hmm. We did some about four or five of them before the pandemic hit. We were going to hit the ground running in September, we'd do two or three a week where we go into uh elementary and, and junior high schools and do uh, an anti-bullying campaign and we, we uh, and i would do it along with my my good friend uh glenn rice who i got mm-hmm. to coach when he came here um he, he's you know he's a he's a heat legend um mm-hmm. and and just a great person he run he, he, he helps me run the camps in the summer and so uh the anti-bullying campaign is on stall right now we've done a few things with with Zoom. Um, Mm -hmm. But we're waiting so that um, everyone can get on the same page with schools, with Mm -hmm. kids going to school and parents and teachers and politicians and all that stuff and work all that out where we can go back into uh, assemblies and get together Mm -hmm. with kids and we talk about different things. Um, One of the great stories I tell that's very interesting is about Dwayne Wade. We t- we, mm-hmm. uh, one of the great things about the Bridget program is it teaches kids to be kind and it makes it a competition among the kids. How many kind deeds can you do today? And oh, they wow. compete against each other. And they they, they send out kind uh, words to their teachers, to their their classmates. Mm-hmm. We teach them about we talk to them about, do you know if you take the bus to school, do you know your bus driver's name? Do you know the mm. woman's name in the cafeteria, the, the man's name in the cafeteria? Do you know the people who work in the school? You know, we try to teach them to be kind rather Mm -hmm. than the other way. And one of the great examples that I use, true story, we were in uh, Washington one year with, and um, we played the game and we're walking out the back to go to the buses, to get on the Mm -hmm. bus, to go to the heat plane. And I just happened to be walking out with Dwayne Wade. And as we turn the corner on the left, as we go into the buses, there's a a rope up, a security rope, and there's people back over there and Mm -hmm. they're all yelling out Dwayne Wade's name. They want some of some are family, some are friends, some are just uh, maybe uh, relatives of, of, of mm-hmm. different players. And they want, you know, they're, they're, they're excited to see Dwayne Wade. And Dwayne sees this maybe eight, nine-year-old boy who's kind of short. Mm-hmm. And the kid looked like he was almost going to cry. <laughs> now, I didn't notice this until Dwayne walked over. Mm-hmm. Dwayne walked over and knelt down and said to the kid, hi, I'm Dwayne Wade. What's your name? And the kid oh, wow. was a little hesitant at first. And then after a while, you saw a smile from ear to ear. Okay, mm-hmm. Dwayne Wade, instead of going to his fans and schmoozing with them and getting the adulation from them, mm-hmm. he, he cheered up a little boy who was kind of looked like he was very sad about something. Mm-hmm. That young man will never forget that experience the rest of his life. And that's what the anti-bullying campaign is all about. And so we're very yeah. proud of that. Um, I also have a website named notjustbasketball.com. If anybody's interested in, in um, seeing great pictures that I put on there of myself with a lot of Heat players and a lot of Pat Riley, a lot of different people. And I also have 40 Tony's tips on there. And uh, and, and one some of the fun I had with it is I've got some tips where there, there are um, quotes from different people, all walks of life, not mm-hmm. just sports. And then I have four tips where there are there are funny sports quotes Mm
2: -hmm.
1: where people made comments that didn't make much sense, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's really funny. It was off the cuff kind of, so it's a lot of fun. So if anyone's interested, not just basketball.com is a a website they can go to and really have some fun with it. And there's also an anti-bullying page on there Mm -hmm. that encourages people about anti-bullying and how to, how to, um, uh, uh, how to spot it, And how to deal with it so there's a lot there on that website so i'm involved with a lot of things a lot some of it on on, on hold right now
2: gotcha and a lot of what you're doing now especially is bigger than basketball it's not just running the team it's not talking about the games it's using the influence of the team the status that the miami heat hold in south florida to actually make a difference and help people uh can you talk about some of those bigger than basketball moments that you've experienced
1: well, that's one of them with Dwayne Wade. One of the things I always tried to do when we were on the road, you know, we traveled with the team. We went to all the arenas, mostly mm-hmm. all over the arenas. And um, whenever I saw Heat fans, we had them everywhere, especially after mm-hmm. the championships. Where, you know, people were wearing the jerseys on. I would go up to them with the ring on and show it to them and say, "You want to take a picture of that?" and th- different things like that. So I tried to. Uh, uh, you know, I was a teacher, and. Uh, and, and it was used to being around a lot of people and I, it's my nature to do that, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, someone like Alonzo morning is a perfect example of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. He's had that, he had that Zoe summer groove. They built the, 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 the foundation, they built the building, the, the, the program they had in the, in the, in the Overtown. Okay. Mm-hmm. For years. Um, he still does things for kids in South Florida. Alonzo Morning has had more influence over kids in South Florida, I think, than maybe any athlete in the history of this of South Florida, because mm-hmm. he really, really worked at it. When he had his group, Zoe Summer Groove, he was all over the place getting sponsorships and doing things for kids and uh, raising money to give to charities, to give to to, to to for the development of kids, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, I think he's the epitome to me of what. The heat culture is off the court, you know, away from basketball with being involved in the community, developing the total person. Um, You know, uh, one of the things we do in our basketball camp as an extension of that is we teach a lot of basketball skills, but we Mm -hmm. teach a lot of life skills. I like giving out a quote every day Mm -hmm. at the end of the the camp and and the camp every day. We give out a quote, and it could be from Maya Angelou. It could be Mm -hmm. from Aristotle. It could be from Dwayne Wade, Pat Mm -hmm. Riley. It doesn't matter. Anyone that had something interesting to say that would the kids could relate to, I would tell Mm -hmm. them to go home and read it. Look up the person who made the comment. If you don't know who it is, look it up and see, read about them. So you make it a lesson. I'm going back to my teaching days. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, go over it with them in the morning,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: along with. Maybe we gave them out. We gave them a, a skill sheet to take home to uh, the proper way to dribble, the proper way to shoot, uh, mm-hmm. pick and roll. Uh, you know, different things. How to play together, teamwork. So we encompass all of those values, developing the basketball player and developing the person. And uh, through all of that, you hope that you you know you, we have a we have a captive audience. The Miami mm-hmm. Heat. The when we get kids with the Junior Heat and in the camp, we have a captive audience. Mm-hmm. And so we want to take advantage of that, not, not just basketball-wise. And one of the things I ask the kids every morning in camp when they come in, did you make your bed today? Mm. When you got up this morning, <laughs> did you make your bed? Why not? It takes two minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. You know, and then one of the cute things I like to ask the kids, did you have breakfast today? Yeah. Who made it? My mom. Did you thank her? Mm. Kids don't think of that. Take things for granted. Huh? Adults take that for granted. Mm-hmm. So, we had one funny situation where we were at Miami Dade College, and mom walks in with a kid about 8 30. Camp starts about nine. I'm sitting at a table. The kid walks in. I said, What time did you get to bed? I told him they got to <laughs> you know, you're a, you're a player, you get to bed by nine o'clock. Parents love that. You know, you're a basketball player. You got to get to bed by nine because we got camp in the morning mm-hmm. and you're going to be running around all day. And so, then I said to the kid, Did you have breakfast? Yeah, what'd you have? I, I had eggs. Who made them? My mom. Did you thank her? And it was st- stone silence. <laughs> silence silence finally the kid looks up and says thank you mom <laughs> so these are the little things that we mm. teach that that i love seeing because as being a former teacher you don't just teach a subject you teach a lot of things
0: mm-hmm. right uh, I can still remember being in those seed camps and I think one of my favorite moments was when, and we talked about him a lot already, but when Alonzo Mourning, uh, showed up and I remember keep, I kept hearing from my parents, oh, you, if, if he shows up, you got to get an autograph, you got to get a picture and all this and all that. And it was really, it was a really great experience. Um, but speaking about Alonzo Mourning, you know, we talk about a lot of bigger than basketball moments and he's had a couple, you know, and it, it, it sort of seems like not only when he give, gives back to the community, but kind of uh, when he went through his own struggles as well, you know, going, coming back from the U S Olympics and having the whole problem with his, um with his kidney, t- take us to that situation where it's, it, it's kind of a, it, it's something that you, re- you know, it's something that you can't really change. And t- take us to that situation where Alonzo morning, you know, he uh, says he has his diagnosis. What was going on uh, in the locker room? Well,
1: he comes back. Um, you know, he was in, um, I think the uh, it was in, um, I think that was, was it Australia? I think it was in Australia, mm-hmm. 2000 Olympics. And he comes back from the Olympics and he goes through a preseason physical like everyone does in the NBA. And they found some abnormalities that they didn't recognize. They, did, they said, something's wrong here. And then eventually the diagnosis was a diseased kidney. Mm-hmm. Now he was fortunate because if he didn't have the physical, who knows where that could have gone. Mm-hmm. All right. And so he takes care of it. He gets the diseased kidney removed. Um, no athlete i don't, at that time, I'm not sure if it's happened since, no athlete that ever had a kidney removed and then played again. I believe on the mm. pro level, and even though a lot of people told Alonzo Mourning that he should not come back, mm-hmm. you know, you should retire. You know, you still got a chance to be in the Hall of Fame because you were defensive player of the year twice, had a great mm. career at Georgetown, all that stuff. You know, had, he was uh, he was just a great player his whole life, um, but he had still had that that desire to win a championship. Mm-hmm. and so uh at, at the time, I remember reading that Patrick Ewing and the late John Thompson encouraged him not to play.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: his close friends looking out for his best health okay mm-hmm. for his be- to for his benefit. That's what they were doing, but he had this burning desire to play, and I'm not sure that we would have won the championship in those six mm-hmm. if we didn't have him coming off the bench because in game six. We, Eric Reed and I had a dinner for eleven years where we honored the Don Schuler Sports Legend Award,
0: mm-hmm. and the
1: one year we gave it out to Alonso Mourning, and I had I got to introduce him, and I told him in that dinner I said, "Zo, you know, um, if you didn't come back, I'm not sure I'd be wearing the championship ring today, you know, six for most six because he, in game seven, in game six, he played about thirteen minutes. He had the most dynamic." impactful 13 minutes mm-hmm. maybe in the history of the nba finals he had 8.6 rebounds five block shots he had four fouls he wasn't letting anybody near the rim and mm-hmm. when he got in the game that intensity he blocked a shot and he got up and you know he was so intense that it was it was um contagious to everybody else on his team on our team and so um here's a guy that was so proud as a player that he just had to come back and fulfill that last thing that he wanted to do. And like I said, I, I don't know if we would have won because Shaq didn't have the a great series against Dallas. Alonzo Morning did off the bench. And especially in that game six. Yeah, you know, I told you we were down double figures going into the second quarter. Morning came in the game with Gary Payton and uh he just did a great job. And we won that. We won the championship.
0: Um yeah, I mean, I can. I mean, that's that's sort of an like uh, the iconic moment of him. I can't remember who he blocked, but he blocks a shot, and he's kind of, you know, you could see the passion coming from him. You know, he's yes, like, he's really excited off uh, coming off the floor, and you know, you talk about championships. I can still remember like it's one of those where were you moments when it happened. I can still remember the decision. I could still remember watching it in I believe a hotel with my uh, with my family, and it was just unbelievable uh moment and then the start to the season and that at the beginning was sort of rocky I mean we kind of heard the story of Pat Riley telling Eric Spilcher I'm not going down again we're not like we're not going I'm not going to go coach again so you better figure this out uh what what was the uh feeling around the big three kind of at the beginning into into when they really started to you know the when they won the back-to-back what 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 was the uh, change in feeling
1: well the thing that comes out the most for me when the, when we got the three all- stars together is the animosity that we had to deal with from the rest of the from the from the media. You know it was the first time somebody had done that. Now it's common where players right. go to teams and try to team up uh you know they didn't like the fact that LeBron came to Miami and that Bosch came to Miami to team up with Dwayne Wade.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so, in the, for the first time in his life, LeBron was getting ne- was getting criticism, and negative reviews from people because he made the change. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. hey, it, you know, he played seven years in Cleveland at the time. He was a free agent. He's got you he can go wherever he wants, right? Okay. And so, by coming to Miami, he there, there, there was there was a um, people just were looking to write negative things about the team. And we started out nine and eight that year. 10-11, all right, um, and that that, that year, 10-11, I believe was the was the um, work stoppage year. We didn't start the season until later that year, 10-11, and we started out nine and eight. You had all these mm-hmm. people talking about, you know, uh, what's wrong with the heat? Spolster's in trouble, all that stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then we won 21 out of the next 22 games. And yeah. all of a sudden, people forgot about the criticism now. You mm-hmm. know, they stopped picking at little things that the Heat were doing wrong. And so the Heat went from 9-8 and eight to like 30-9 uh, and nine or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then lost. Then, then you get the criticism again when we lost in the finals to Dallas. Right. In six games. And so, um, and then come back and win back to back. And so the, 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 my feeling was, and I told some of the people covering the finals this, Uh, especially the the, uh, years 12 and 13 Mm -hmm. Um, Chicago and Indiana statistically had the best defensive teams in the NBA at that time. Mm -hmm. You looked at stats, but there was no better defensive team with three or four minutes left in a game that the heat had to win Mm -hmm. because they had, when you, when you when Bosh and Wade and LeBron and Shane Battier zeroed in on defense, there wasn't Mm -hmm. a team better than that at that time. We could just shut people down. We did the best, you know. We just it was it was great to see that those four guys, as good as the three guys were in offense, and as great a shooter as Chain Batty was, we were a really good defensive team with those four guys leading it, and uh, and then win the back-to-back championships. That was that was exciting to do, and it wasn't easy because when LeBron was here, mm-hmm. we played an extra. I think it was eighty something like eighty-six games. We played an extra eighty-six games in the four years. That's more than a whole nother season.
2: Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And would you say that the heat really bought into that? Uh, they liked being hated around the league. They, they use that to fuel them going forward. Would you say that?
1: Yeah. And I think so. You know, you there's different ways of using this, the, the psychology with it. It's mm-hmm. us against them. John Thompson used it for years at Georgetown and you rally your guys around it. And it's It's, pr- it's true today. The heat, The Heat as a whole, they don't care about any kind of rumors. They don't worry about stuff like that. Um, Even even me as a a former coach, sometimes I take on the philosophy because someone will say to me, um, what do you think about the Heat playing the Lakers next week? And Mm -hmm. I might say, well, they're playing Sacramento tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. let's, Let's focus in on Sacramento. That's what the Heat does. The only thing that matters is the next game. Forget all the double talk, forget all of the rumors, uh, criticisms and all that kind of stuff. Okay. They're not happy with the record right now, but it's understandable to some point because of all the problems that have existed. And, and that's not excusing it again. They don't make excuses. Sometimes you got to try to be objective about it though. And so, you know that with the culture being what it is and what they were able to do last year and the group of guys that they have, and the quality of coaching that they have and the quality of ownership and and front office and Coach Riley, this team's going to turn it around when they're healthy Mm -hmm. and they're going to be there when it counts. So that's the attitude.
2: Yeah, and I'm really glad that you mentioned about how the rumors – try not to make it into the locker room because this year maybe more than many uh there have been a lot of rumors swirling around this team uh with James Harden, Bradley Beal, even other players uh potential trade targets for the team. That doesn't you said it does not enter the locker room. It doesn't get into these guys' heads like are my days with the team done? Do they just go out there and compete?
1: No, I you could see it. You know, you mm-hmm. got a guy like like Kendrick Nunn, who was struggling for a while, Mm -hmm. but then he comes out and has three great games because he's mentally ready. He's prepared. Mm -hmm. He's learned his lesson from the the culture. He's that type of person. Okay, he's a Chicago kid. He's tough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see that attitude. You don't worry about it. You you go out there and you play. The only thing you concern yourself with is how you play and how you can help the team. And, you know, one of the Mm -hmm. things I love that Coach Bolster pushes all the time is uh, be happy for a teammate's success right you know you get some teams where they're divided, where a guy's sitting on the bench in his mind, he might be uh, you know complaining to himself that I should be out there ahead of him, or I hope he gets mm. foul trouble so I can play ahead of him." None of that stuff happens with the heat. They're happy, they're ready when their numbers called and they root for each other, and one night you may not play, but the next night you may be the star. They understand mm. all of that, and they and they trust coach bolstra.
2: Yeah, and it seems like with the Heat, especially last year, it's hard to tell this year because the roster's been so thin and it's been hard to actually get meaningful minutes out of a lot of these guys. But last year, it was a different star player every night. There were games that Duncan Robinson would come out there and score 30 and then other games where he would score three and be just as happy. Uh, same with the, the uh, star players and Jimmy, Bam, um, all of those guys. It's... Not very common. It it seems like maybe the Miami Heat are one of the only organizations in the entire league that's built like that, regardless of the roster. Because you could even go back a few years um, when the the Heat were run by Hassan Whiteside, Deion Waiters, and Justice Winslow. Um, They had that same mentality then that they have now when they are having more success making those finals runs. Uh, Talk about how no matter what the roster looks like, they're still that same mentality. Uh,
1: mentality around the team the program sustains itself mm-hmm. you know you, if you have a solid program where you back up what you say if you say you're going to be defense oriented then you work on it every day mm-hmm. if you say the next man up when it, when somebody gets hurt the next man up goes in you back up what you say people players tend to trust what you're doing I, i'll tell you what else is the heat culture Mm-hmm. Other other coaches would do this, but I'm not sure every coach would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, when, last year, when Jimmy Butler first came to the Heat, the Heat had a, a opening night was at home,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Jimmy Butler goes to the goes to the uh, shoot around. After the shoot around, his lady has a baby. Mm-hmm. He calls up Eric Spoelstra in the early afternoon and tells him and says, oh, but I'll be at the game." Coach Post says, "No, you stay with your child and you and your lady. You do that. That's going to be something you're going to remember the rest of your life. That's more important than a basketball game. Mm-hmm. And so you think that Jimmy Butler's going to forget that because the, after that game, the Heat traveled to Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and Milwaukee was the team everybody was picking as one of the favorites to win a championship. Mm-hmm. And the Heat go in there with Hero really doing well. And he, um, sorry, my dogs are barking." He goes, <laughs> he goes, uh, they, he go into Milwaukee and they beat him in overtime without Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. And that was the game where out of the combo tapped the, put the ball in at the buzzer when he thought they had the game on, on that short shot. And they mm-hmm. came right back and won in overtime. You knew something was working, but Butler wasn't there. So he was mm-hmm. able to take a couple of games and spend it with his lady and with his kid, because that's, what's important in life. And that, that creates a bond, between you know, arguably your best player and your coach, and it sets a, 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 a tone for everybody else on the team to know that Coach Bolster's got his priorities in order.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, coach Bolster really—I think he didn't get enough credit when it was the big three era because he was always overshadowed by the, the star players. But now I think he's finally been getting that respect around the NBA. Uh, Before we wrap up, there's a lot of heat fans that are kind of worried about the, the start to the season. What what are some words of wisdom you could say to, to calm some of the anxieties around the the early struggles and how they can change going forward?
1: And it's like I was saying earlier, you know, you, you can't jump the gun here. It's, been, it's, an, it's an odd mm-hmm. year. The Heat's not the only team that's struggling that was expected to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you got to get your players back. You know, uh, uh, Butler has missed more than half the games. Mm-hmm. Drogage has been out a little bit. Um, uh, 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 a few other guys have missed games. Hero has missed games. Mm-hmm. Let's wait until we get healthy. Let's get let's get it get them back, get on a roll. We know what they did last year, okay. And you know, it's almost like if they go back to a bubble again for the for the playoffs, mm-hmm. there's no home court advantage anymore. You know, and it, that's it, true. It, this season is so odd that I looked this up the other day. I don't know if it's true today, but it was a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Nine of the fifteen teams in the Western Conference have a better road record than a home record. Oh wow! It's very unusual. <laughs> And what I looked up too, in the 1918 and then 19, in 2018 19 mm-hmm. season, only two teams had a better road, uh, home rec- a road record than home record. Oh. And the Heat were one of them. <laughs> so you've got nine teams in the West and three, at the time it was three teams in the East. Mm-hmm. 12 of the 30 teams have a better road. Rec- so it's a little odd season. The things aren't, your home court advantage is not what it used to be. You don't have the fans. The Heat is starting to get mm-hmm. them back now. That home court advantage becomes less without the fans. <clears throat> so that's part of the oddity. And with the with the uh, teams playing without certain players with the with the COVID protocols. Mm-hmm. Um and then some teams don't play for a week and then they got to play four or five games in eight, nine days, mm-hmm. that's what it is. So you we'll see what happens. The Heat fans don't ever give up hope. You've got a great leadership in the front office, uh you know, ownership and as uh, as coaching staff and on the team with veterans on the team, they are going to be fine. I'm not worried about them.
2: Well, that's a great message actually right here to wrap it up on. Thank you so much, uh, Tony Fiorentino for joining us. It's been an incredible episode and we hope that you guys enjoyed. If you did leave a five-star review on Apple and Spotify and consider subscribing. Uh, this has been the Banter Network. Peace out.